Hello, how we doing? Good to see you guys. So glad to have you all back. We miss you guys so much during the break. Everybody have a good Christmas, good New Year. 2021 off to an okay start. It's been an eventful start to the year. I love that thing I saw on Facebook. Someone's like, yeah, I've tried the seven-day trial of 2021. I want to return it, you know. But hey, 2021 is going to be a good year, y'all. It may start out crazy. It's going to be good, though, okay? So um, I am hopeful. I'm hopeful. Well, hey, if I haven't met you, if you are new with us, I'm Kyle. I'm the college pastor here, and so, so glad to have you guys with us um, for the beginning of the semester. Hard to believe we're in 2021. It feels like the future, but here we are. We've arrived. Um, but looking forward to this semester. I think it's going to be a, a really good one, um, even with all that it has brought. Um, I think the Lord has great things in store for us uh, as a church, as a college ministry, uh, as individual followers of Jesus. And so I'm really glad to have you guys here for, uh, for the spring. But if you've got a Bible, you can go and turn to Luke chapter 6. We're going to be there tonight. Um, I do want to mention we got some Zoom people on there. Hey, Zoom people. Glad you're on there tonight. So good to see you guys. Everybody's waving at you if you can't see them. They're glad you're here too. So, um, But yeah, Luke 6, uh, we are starting a new series right here at the beginning of the semester that's actually going to lead us through the whole semester. So back over the break, I began to think, I'm like, okay, what, what, are we, what should we do in the spring? And I, I did a thing I haven't ever really done in college ministry. I'm like, hey, send me questions. And so um, that was interesting. And I, y'all sent in lots of really interesting questions. So much, I'm like, hey, I think I have enough stuff to talk about all spring. <laughs> so, um, so that's what we're going to do is actually do a series, really the whole spring semester, we're going to call Q&A because I'm, I'm not creative and can't come up with cool titles for a sermon series. Uh, we're just going to call it Q&A. Um, just really looking at some of these questions that you sent in. Um, and if, you, if I end up answering your question and it's like slightly rephrased, it's because i made it more general than some of y'all asked. Um, and I don't know who you were, so you know if you get offended with my answer at some point, come talk to me about it. Um, but I think there's some helpful things in here uh, that we're going to talk about this semester um, that are very relevant to your life as a college student. And I think it's going to be a helpful semester um, of study for us. Um, and I'm not going to tell you all the things, but here's just a couple of things we'll talk about throughout the semester. Um, tonight, we'll talk about rest and Sabbath, what that means. So we'll get to that. We're going to talk about spiritual disciplines. We're talking about how we got the Bible. We're going to talk about mental health. I've got a friend of mine that's a Christian counselor coming in to talk about mental health in a couple weeks uh, for us. Talk about how to hear or listen to the Holy Spirit. What about tongues and prophecy? How does that work in the church, in the Baptist church? Um, talk about stuff like, what does the Bible say about patriotism? How should the church address racism? What does the Bible say about alcohol? All kinds of stuff like that. I'm putting that stuff near the end of the semester, so you'll still come back in, this, in, in April when you're exhausted. We'll put that near the end when you just want to stay home and sleep. You'll want to come for the alcohol talk, okay? Um, so uh, <laughs> the Baptist church, I'm, I'm pumped about that one, y'all. It's going to be good. I may get myself in trouble, but I'm ready for it, okay? And more things. There's more topics that we'll get to throughout the semester. Um, but my hope in this is not that this is just like a buffet of random talks each week. My heart really is that um, I'll be able to help equip you as a college student to think biblically about some of these issues that are very relevant to uh, where you're at as a follower of Jesus. Okay, so that's my heart in this. And so I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited about it. But um, I thought we'd start with this first question of rest, um, even though it's kind of funny that we begin the semester with a rest, right? Because you're like, you're probably the most rested you're going to be. Who here actually feels rested right now? Anybody actually? Okay, you're never mind. You're not feeling rested. Okay, um, you know, but at the beginning of the semester, you're like, okay, you know, there's no spring break this semester, right? So you come, you know, end of March, you're probably going to really need the rest talk. Um, but 
I thought it would be helpful to start this semester with this because it's best to be proactive when it comes to this kind of stuff, right? If we get this right at the beginning of the semester, I think it'll be helpful for us as we get later into it. And, uh, and I will give you some practical stuff, you know, later on, um, but we're going to kind of set a biblical foundation first with this because anytime we talk about rest as Christians, yeah, I can give you the practical advice of, you know, hey, take naps, you know, and get good sleep and, you know, have margin in your, in your life and, you know, turn your phone off sometimes and things like that. And we'll get to that and talk about the helpful practical things. But if we're going to really have a conversation about rest as Christians, we first got to talk about, you know, a really rich biblical concept we have that really gets neglected a lot in the church. And it's the idea of Sabbath. And what is the Sabbath? How do we practice the Sabbath? Because it really, so much of what the Bible has to say about that leads us into what it really, really means to rest well as a Christian. So that's where we're going to begin tonight, is talking about the idea of Sabbath. And I promise, you may think for a few minutes, Kyle, what are we talking about? How does this have anything to do with rest? I promise we're going to get there in a minute. Okay, so stay with me. But we're going to start in Luke chapter 6 tonight, looking at what seems like a really random story with Jesus and the Pharisees. Um, This happens during the ministry of Jesus. He's been traveling around and teaching, and if you know much about his ministry, many times he was constantly challenging the status quo of religion, especially with the Pharisees, and this is one of those examples that we see tonight. So let's read just five verses tonight, and then uh, we'll talk about them for a minute. There's a lot of stuff going on we need to explain, and then I promise this will lead into some helpful conversations about rest as we go, okay? So Luke 6, verses 1 through 5. All right, verse one, on a Sabbath, that's a Saturday in Jewish culture, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, this is the most random answer, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those with him. And he said to them, and this is a bold statement, if you write or underline your Bible, underline this, he says, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your word. I pray for these students as we begin this semester, or I pray that they um, would be excited for this semester, not just because maybe they're getting to see some friends they haven't seen in a while, as great as that is, but I pray that we would have a holy sense of expectation, of a desire to see you do incredible things in and through us on, uh, on our campuses here in this city, or in our own lives, in our social circles, or we are expectant for you to do great things for your glory. We ask that you would speak to us tonight, help us to see the true rest available to us in Christ, the kind of rest that only is available to those that are your children who can find complete satisfaction in you. Pray in Christ's name, amen. All right, so what in the world is happening in this story? Let, let, let's talk about it for a minute. Let's explain some things. Otherwise, this seems really random, okay? So you probably know this, but according to the Jewish Sabbath laws, you would not work on the seventh day of the week, right? Which would be Saturday in their culture. Um, so what you would do is you would prepare everything the day before, right? So Friday evening, You would get all your stuff in order to have your meals ready, all that kind of stuff. So you're not going to do any work on Saturday. You're going to just kind of hang out and they have some different things that they would do to remember the Sabbath on that day. Um, But Saturday was reserved to 
to be a time you did not work. And you can still observe this even today if you were to go to Jerusalem today, um, if you can even get on a plane right now. Um, But if you were to go to Jerusalem, uh, you would see on Friday evening, if you go to the shops, to the market, it's just crazy. Everyone's there getting all their stuff ready for the Sabbath, if they're a Jew. If you're not a Jew, you don't care. But, you know, uh, they're there. It's crazy busy. But as soon as the sun goes down, it's dead because sundown begins at Sabbath, um, begins the Sabbath. And so I've heard it's really fascinating. I've never been. I really want to go to Jerusalem one day. It's on my bucket list. Um, But you can see even today, but in this story, we see that Jesus' disciples are breaking some of the Sabbath rules of the culture at this time. And so when the disciples, you can imagine they're walking through a field and they're probably hungry, they need a snack. So, you know, they start popping these heads of grain and they're eating them. You know, it's like a you know, like a really healthy Hebrew kind of like, you know, granola or something they're doing here. So they're eating this stuff. And the, the silly thing is, is that the Pharisees see this and like, hey, you guys are doing work. Like you're rubbing these grains, uh, these heads of grain to, to eat them. That's work to, to rub your fingers together in order to produce this food, which seems ridiculous, right? We can all agree on that. It seems ridiculous to call that work. But they call that work. And here's the deal. So in, in Jesus's time, they took the Sabbath really seriously. Technically, according to the law, you could be killed for violating the Sabbath at the time. It didn't happen a lot, but it, it was possible according to the law. Um, and so what the religious leaders did because of the serious nature of how they took the Sabbath is they came up with these long lists of things that detailed what it meant to follow the Sabbath or not to follow the Sabbath, how to practice it the right way. And, and the, the list got ridiculous. Uh, they really got to the point where they, they told you how many steps you could take before you had worked on that day. So I don't know what the number was, but say it's like 100 steps, okay? That you, you know that if I leave my house that day, I only can take 49 steps away from my home before I get back. Because once I reach 100, I've broken the Sabbath, right? So, or 101. You know, so you get the idea that there's some ridiculous stuff happening. But as, as much as we want to bash the Pharisees in, in sermons, pastors always are, you know, janking on the Pharisees. I, I will give them credit. Their heart was good in this. There was a good heart behind this stuff. Because if you know that culture at the time, in the first century, you know, there were no two-day weekends. You know, people worked essentially six days a week, really seven days a week if they weren't a Jew. But in Jewish culture, they worked six days a week, many of them in agriculture. Because really, if you didn't work, you had no food and you, would, you wouldn't eat. You would get hungry and you'd die. So people worked a lot. You know, work was a huge part of their culture. And we know, you know, as human beings, that our hearts naturally gravitate toward trying to be self-sufficient, right? Trying to prove ourselves many times through work. And so knowing this, the religious leaders, uh, to keep people from making work an idol, they put all kinds of rules around the Sabbath laws so you wouldn't break them. They called it a fence around the law. It also applied to other things, but the Sabbath specifically, they had these fence rules so that you would stay you know, on the right side of the fence so you wouldn't even get close to breaking the rules, which is where we get the 100 steps or whatever it was. Okay, but here's the deal. We know this. You can't really change people's hearts through rules, right? Does it normally work out to change people's hearts through rules? You know, the, the legal system we have in America doesn't really change people's hearts. It guards people from doing certain things maybe, but it doesn't change our hearts. So over time, the Sabbath regulations became less and less of a blessing and more and more of a burden. And we see that in this story. And I love the way that Jesus responds, because what does he say? Like they, they say, hey, your disciples are doing what's unlawful on the Sabbath. They're working, right? Eating this heads of grain. And what does he respond with? He's like, have you read the Bible? That's what he tells them. He's like, hey, Pharisees, which by the way, Pharisees were the very conservative group at the time. Many of them had memorized the entire Old Testament. And he says to them, hey, have you read the Bible? It's, 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 it's like kind of intentionally like, you know, not offensive, but like 
Like, really, guys? Like, yeah, I love it. Jesus was so snarky sometimes. So there's a biblical basis for being snarky sometimes, okay? He says, have you read the Bible? And then he references this story that many of us probably aren't familiar with. It's in 1 Samuel 21. We're not going to read it, but I'll give you the Cliff Notes version. In 1 Samuel 21, what happens is that King David, he's been anointed at this point by Samuel. He's not officially king yet, technically. King Saul is jealous and after him to kill him. So King David is on the run from Saul, and he and his friends at one point are in hiding, and they get hungry, and they have no food to eat. They're on the run from the king, and so what they do is they go to the temple, and they ask the priest there for some food because they know there's the, the holy bread of the presence of the Lord there in the temple. And so that's not supposed to be eaten. It's supposed to be an offering to God. Um, but what happens is the priest actually gives David and his friends the, the bread, and they eat it. And the Bible doesn't condemn it in any way. And Jesus, interestingly enough, in this story says, you know what? Yeah, they, they didn't do anything wrong in eating the bread of the presence at this point. And that begs the question then, okay, then, then why? Like, why? If the law says not to do this, but then they did, like, why was that okay? And how is this related to the Sabbath in any way? Well, the, the answer is this. His point is what he is illustrated in what he says next. That thing I got you to underline when he says the son of man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Well, that's the key to this. But what does that mean? Well, if you know much about the Gospels, if you read them much before, the title Son of Man is one of Jesus's favorite names for himself, right? When he talk, talks about himself and what he's come to do, he loves to use that title Son of Man. We won't get into why tonight. A lot of it's to do with prophecy, but he loves that title. So when he says the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath, what he's saying is, guys, I am the Lord of the Sabbath, is what he's saying. And so what does that mean then? Well, first off, he is saying that he is God. That's the first thing Jesus is saying. Because God was the creator of the Sabbath back in Genesis 2, which we'll look at in a second. But for Jesus to say he's the Lord of the Sabbath is for him to clearly say that he is God. So if you have a friend sometime soon that says, hey, like, if they're not a Christian, and they're like, hey, the Bible never says that Jesus really is God. That I got read into the Bible later on. Well, here's an example where Jesus really not says clearly, hey, I'm God, but very clear to anybody who knew what he was saying, including the Pharisees. They knew what he was saying, that he was God, which is why in verse 11, if you were to read on in the story, he has another interaction with them. But at the end of that story, the Pharisees are furious with him. The Pharisees begin to plot against him. That's one of the big reasons. They know what he is saying in this instance. So that's why they begin to plot against him. But here's the thing. If, if Jesus is God and he created the Sabbath, if he's Lord of the Sabbath, then here's the thing. That means that he knows the true purpose of the Sabbath, right? He knows the true intention of the Sabbath, and he has the authority to then to rightly define how it's practiced. You with me so far? He has that authority. So then why was it okay for David to eat the bread of the temple, even though that was against the law? What is the point here? Well, it's okay because of this. Jesus is saying that those things, like the temple, the, the holy bread, m much of the ceremonial part of the law, they were temporary. They were provisional. And how do we know that? Because think about this. You know, the Old Testament, you know, told people not to eat this bread, but in this case, it was okay. But the Old Testament also says things like, hey, don't murder, right? And also don't steal. But in this case, Jesus says it was okay to eat the bread, but Jesus never approves of stealing because you're low on cash or murder because your friend was annoying that day, right? He never says that stuff's okay, right? But he says that eating the bread is okay. So there's a difference then, right, in like murder, stealing, and then the other stuff like eating the bread. There's some kind of difference in category, right? 
And so in this case, it's okay for, for David to eat the bread because he was in a hurry, because he was in, a, in the run from Saul, and he was God's anointed king, you know, for Israel. So what he's saying is breaking the ceremonial law wasn't wrong in this case because the ceremonial laws would eventually be replaced with something better. Something better, or should I say someone better, was coming. You see where I'm going with this? Who is that someone better? Jesus. Sunday school answer. There you go. Okay, Jesus is the something better that was coming to replace these things. And that's what he means when he says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, is that Jesus is the fulfillment of all that the Sabbath was meant to point us to. He is the fulfillment of that, which means that if we want to talk about rest and Sabbath and all these things, we have to first start with Jesus, right? with what Christ has done. This is why, as Christians, we're not morally bound to practice the Sabbath in the way that Jews say they're morally bound. That's why we don't, you know, tell everybody not to work on Saturday or Sunday necessarily because it's different, all right? But in order for us to really get this concept fully, we need to go back a little bit. We need to go back to Genesis 2. I'm not going to read it, but if you want to flip to Genesis 2 to look at the creation account, you can. But if you think about Genesis 2, this is an account where Jesus, or Jesus, yeah, he's there in creation, but God is creating the world, you know, and we see at the, on the seventh day, right, that God rests, right, at the end of his work of creation. And that word Sabbath is Hebrew for Shabbat, which means to cease or to stop. It's literally what it means. And have you ever thought about this? Like, isn't it weird that God rests on day seven? Like, does God get tired? No. Good theological theological answer. God does not get tired. He is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. He never runs out of energy. He is the source of all energy, right? He never runs out of it, okay? All the engineers can give me the thermodynamics of that somehow, right? But he never runs out of energy. He never gets tired. Isaiah, which we'll study this semester, says he literally never grows weary. That we grow weary, but he does not grow weary. He has an unlimited amount of energy. So if God is resting, it's not because he got tired and needed a nap, it's not that God was, you know, weary in that way. So what it means is it's got to be something different than that rest is simply just to recover energy. But I think the answer to this is found in the story. Because think about it. Every time God creates something, what does he speak over that part of creation before he moves on? What does he say? It's good, right? At the very end, what does he say? It is very good, right? So interesting enough... Every time he creates something, he says, it is good. And at the end, he says, this is very good. And then at the end of all that, he rests. So there's something interesting, interesting here with that. I think that means, I think the Bible would support this. I'm not just me saying this. Um, I think that means that true rest is not you know, defined necessarily then by just recovering strength or energy. But instead, based on what we see in Genesis 2 and in this story, that real rest is us being able to cease from our work because we found deep satisfaction in what we've done. That God was able to stop working on day seven because he could look at what he had done and said, no, this is good. I'm deeply satisfied in my creation, in my work. I'm able to stop. I'm able to cease because of what I've done. It's not a matter of just stopping to recover energy. It's a matter of saying, I'm, I find fulfillment and satisfaction in what I've done and I can stop. That God could do that. And so then to truly be able to rest, to be able to practice the Sabbath must mean that it's a lot more than just taking a day off. It's a lot more than just stopping activity. 
But to truly be able to rest, to truly be able to practice a Sabbath, means that we have to be able to find deep satisfaction in life, to be able to step away from our life and say, this is good. This is very good. Uh, Tim Keller, the pastor, uh, he used to be a pastor in New York, he calls this finding the rest under the rest. You know, it's not just a superficial kind of rest, but a deep soul rest. It's the kind of rest that no amount of Netflix, no amount of napping, you know, no amount of trips to the beach is ever going to get you. This is a rest under the rest. And if we're all honest, we deeply need that kind of rest. But here's the problem. How in the world can we ever look at our life and say, this is good? Like, this is very good. How can any of us ever look at our day and say, I have done enough? (laughs) You know, I am proud of my day. I've been productive enough. That's a never-ending, you know, like hamster wheel of feeling like you've done enough. Who can ever really honestly say that, yeah, I'm satisfied in what I've done? You know, if we're honest in our hearts, I don't think we ever could really say that because if we're honest, we all in our hearts have this little perpetual desire to want to keep proving ourselves and feel like we can measure up more and more. You know, regardless of if it's work or if it's school, it always feels like there's maybe more to do or we could have done what we did better, right? Especially if you're like me and you're type A. There's always this desire to do more or do better. You know, maybe during the break, you had that weird kind of moment where you get done with school, you go home, and you're like, okay, I feel like I should be doing something right now. Like, I should be studying for something, or I should have a test coming up, but you don't. It's like this buzzing motion in your brain. Imagine, wait till you graduate. That gets real weird when you're like, for real done? <laughs> you're like, well, no more for the rest of my life, maybe? And then the Lord calls you to ministry, you go back to seminary, and you have to study again. Yeah, that happened to me. So I took four years off from college, only to, had to get back into school. You know, but that residual busyness ringing in your head, you know, that can really show you what I'm talking about. Because here's the thing, more often than not, it is so easy for us to let, like, work. And when I say work, I don't mean just, like, your job, making money. I mean, like, school, anything like that. It is so easy for us to make work part of our identity, a way that we define ourselves, you know, that we work harder and harder because we feel this need to prove ourselves, you know, prove that we matter, you know, that we can measure up to the expectations put on us, maybe by ourselves, maybe by our parents, maybe by professors, maybe by society, but we want to measure up in some way, but yet we still have this inner restlessness that says we're not good enough, that we got to do more, we have to do better just to prove we're not a waste of space, that we, we can prove that we can do what we, you know, really dreamed we can do. And I think all of us have this, this, you know, inner reality in some way more than others. But the thing is, the only way to escape this struggle, only way to really be able to look at, you know, our life and say, this is good, to find deep rest and true satisfaction, is through Christ. That may seem like a Sunday school answer, but I really believe this. That the only way to escape this struggle that really all of us as humans in some way experience is through the gospel of Jesus. It's only through him. It's only through surrendering our lives to Christ and finding our identity not in our work but in him that we can ever experience real rest. I believe the Bible teaches this so clearly. Consider Matthew 11. It's going to be on the screen. Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me. He means follow in my way of life because I am lowly and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When he says yoke, he's talking about like a rabbi would talk about his yoke as in his way of life, his way of living, his practice. He's like, come into my way of living and be invited into this way of living. You'll find true rest and relief opposed to the other yokes that the world may offer you. Hebrews 4 
says it really clearly as well. Hebrews 4.9, also on the screen, says, Therefore, a Sabbath rest remains for God's people. For the people, for the person who has entered his rest has rested from his own works, just as God did from his. Let us then make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience. You see that? There's this connection between God's rest and our rest. But it's not that God's rest is to recover energy. It's that he found satisfaction and fulfillment in what he had done. So the same can be true for us if we find it in Christ and not in our own works. In Christ, we can experience real Sabbath rest because in Christ, we can give up on trying to prove ourselves. That we can give up on this, but in Christ, in the gospel, we can see that first off, we are way more jacked up than we ever could admit, really. That we're way more broken and we can never measure up to even our own standards, much less anybody else's standards, much less God's standards of us. We can never measure up to that if we're honest. But at the same time in the gospel, we see, yes, we're broken and jacked up, but also we see that this standard has been met for us in Christ. That we could never meet it, but Christ has met it for us. That we're more broken than we ever imagined, but we're more loved than we ever dare dream in the gospel, right? Because of what Christ has done for us in his perfect life, death, and resurrection, we can find rest, we can find satisfaction, because we can measure up in him, not on our own. That's the only way we can find true rest in this. Think about on the cross. What is the last thing Jesus said on the cross before he died? He said, tetelestai, right? Which is Greek for, it is finished. It is finished, a lot, you know, can be um, meant by that, but one thing can mean that he says, my work is done, that it is finished, my work is done. And that work that he did was for everybody who would believe in him, that they can also say that the work is done for them. And in, in our recognizing our own inability to prove ourselves is the way that we can truly experience rest in Christ, that we can look to say, he said it's finished, it's done for us, so therefore it is finished for me. I don't have to prove myself or work enough because Christ has worked for me. And we have to receive this work that Christ has done in our place. Otherwise, we're always going to be on this perpetual cycle of trying to prove ourselves. But instead, if we receive what God has done for us, we can know that, like 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, that Christ takes on our sin, he takes on our brokenness so that we may receive his righteousness, we may receive God's righteousness, which is another way to say God's approval of us. That God says, I am proud of you, that you are my son, you're my child in whom I'm well pleased, that you measure up, not because of yourself, but you measure up because of what Christ has done for you, that you, because of what my son has done for you. It's only then that we can have this sense of satisfaction, this sense of fulfillment, that we're enough because Christ has been enough for us and we can begin to experience what Keller called the rest beneath the rests. Because whether we know it or not, you know, if we don't feel like we have the approval of God, we're going to look all kinds of other places for approval. We're going to look kind of all kinds of other places to define ourselves. But it's never going to be enough. No amount of, no good GPA, no job, no award, no promotion, no relationship, no amount of achievement is ever going to be enough for you. Because if work is your idol, idol will, that work idol will always be like a carrot in front of you. That's never going to be what you thought it was going to be. It's never going to be enough. No amount of rest or vacation will ever be enough to even give you the rest you think you need in that. But like St. Augustine said, he was a church father, lived a long, long time ago, but he has a famous quote. Uh, it's actually Augustine, not Augustine. I'm a redneck and call him Augustine. It's Augustine. Um, but sorry, uh, but he says this. I love this quote. We had this painted on a little plate in our house, but he said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. You being God. His, his book, he wrote that in as a, as a prayer. 
that Augustine prayed and said, our hearts, humanity's hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. That we're restless until we find our rest in him. So if you haven't found that kind of rest tonight, if you haven't found deep soul rest in Christ, I'd love to talk to you more about that, what that means to find your rest in Jesus. There's many Christians here who'd love to talk to you about that, but we got to start there if we're going to move on to any other kind of rest. So once we find our true rest in Christ, the actual practice of Sabbath then becomes this gift that we're given. It's not this kind of legalistic practice, but it becomes a gift we're given to remind us who we are in Jesus, to remind us of the truth of the gospel. You know, because the Sabbath ceremonial laws, you know, they, they were temporary, right? They were something that would be fulfilled in Christ. But just because they were temporary doesn't mean that the Sabbath is completely gone. It doesn't matter anymore. Just think about the Old Testament laws. Many of them were fulfilled in Christ, but it doesn't mean that they're completely irrelevant to us. There's a lot of wisdom still in the Old Testament law that we can learn from. And the Sabbath is the same way. There's a lot of wisdom in how the Bible talks about Sabbath to lead us to know how to live well to know how to live in the way that God has designed us. We start with Jesus, but then we can move into the wisdom of the law. Um, And Tim Keller, I've already mentioned him once, but Tim Keller in his book, Every Good Endeavor, it's a book about work, uh, but he he highlights three ways that practicing Sabbath is good for us as Christians. I think these are on your, um, your sheet tonight, but three ways that practicing Sabbath is good for us as Christians. Uh, Quickly, number one is Sabbath rest is a celebration of our design. It's a celebration of our design. Uh, Keller said this. He said, to rest is actually a way to enjoy and honor the goodness of God's creation in our own. That when we take time to slow down, to cease from much of our work, it reminds us that we're actually not in control of the universe. It reminds us that we actually don't run the world, that we're finite creatures that are made by God in his image for his glory that God is the only one really fit to control everything and run the universe, so he's the only one worthy of our worship. So when we take time to slow down and cease from doing things, to cease from work and Sabbath and pause, we remind ourselves that we are made in God's image, that we're designed and created by a creator who's the only one who's worthy of worship, only one who can control the universe, and it's good for us to remember that. So that's the first thing. Sabbath rest is a celebration of our design. The second is that Sabbath rest is a declaration of our freedom. Keller says again, he says, you are not a slave to your culture's expectations, your family's hopes, your school demands, or even your own securities. So for us, you know, in a world where it's so easy, like I mentioned, to be defined by how productive we are that day, or by how much we've achieved in our respective career or field, things like that, in a world where it's so easy to be defined by those things, taking time to Sabbath, to slow down, to cease, is a declaration that we are really free from being identified by those things. We're not a slave to those things, but instead we're identified by Christ, that we are defined by him and not by our achievements. So Sabbath rest is a declaration of our freedom from those things. Number three, Sabbath rest is an act of trust. Keller, one more time, he says, to practice Sabbath is a disciplined and faithful way to remember that you are not the one who keeps the world running, who provides for your family, You're not even the one who keeps your projects moving forward. So when we Sabbath, it's a reminder that we're a lot more replaceable than we think. We're a lot more dispensable than we think. I remember times I've gotten sick here. I got the flu like 
two times in one year, a couple of years ago, it was the worst. And I couldn't be here for some Wednesday nights and stuff. And my inner, you know, like type A person was like, oh man, like, what are they going to do? Like, I'm not going to be there. Are things going to go okay? <laughs> and these were fine. Things probably went better when I wasn't here, you know, <laughs> like, and I'm like, yeah, I'm way more dispensable and replaceable than I think I am. And we're all kind of that way. And so Sabbath, when we stop, you know, when we walk away from something, we'll be amazed many times that we have this inner sense of thinking, man, is, what, like, is that project really going to get done in the time I need it to if I take time away from it for a bit, for an afternoon? When really that practice will help us increase our trust in God's provision in our lives. It'll help us increase our trust in God's ability to work through us and not our own ability to get things done. So a Sabbath rest is an act of trust as we take time to cease and to stop. So all that said, what does Sabbath rest actually, you know, look like practically? What does it look like practically? Well, you know, traditionally, Christians have set apart one day of the week to cease from work and to remind them of who they are in Christ. And what they do is they usually do things that help them intentionally connect with God and find their fulfillment and rest in Him. Remember, rest is a lot more than just recovering energy. It's about finding fulfillment and satisfaction in what God has done for us. But we got to remember that we can't be legalistic about the Sabbath. I have friends who have gotten really kind of into, you know, this really legalistic idea of how we should do this, but the Bible literally tells us not to do that. Paul says in Colossians 2, 16, he says, therefore, don't let anyone judge you in regard to food and drink or in the matter of a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. This is a big conversation in the early church that you had Jews and Gentiles and there was debates about how to practice Sabbath, how that works. Paul says, listen, this is more of your conscience, your own personal following of the Lord. This is not a new law that I'm giving to you that we all should do this in a specific way. We have some personal options with this to follow our convictions in this. Um, but yet again, in Mark two twenty-seven, Jesus literally says that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. That the Sabbath was made for us. It's a gift to us. We're not created for it to be a slave to it, but it's a gift to us. So this means that, you know, we shouldn't use the Sabbath as a way to like brag about how holy we are to our friends. We shouldn't use the Sabbath as a way to feel like we're earning God's approval. We'll talk more about that next week even. But instead, the Sabbath is given to us for our good because we need it. That we need rest. And, you know, many people just consider Sabbath going to church on Sunday. And that's a good thing. It's definitely part of it. Historically, you'll find that practicing Sabbath has been a lot more than simply just going to church on a Sunday. You know, gathering God's people is really important, but honestly, I believe you need to make time for personal Sabbath as well, not just gathering with the church on a Sunday. Or, or you know, some churches meet on Saturdays. It's totally cool. Um, unless they're a seven-day Adventist and they have some weird theology about that. That's a different story. Okay, um, but if you go to the Saturday p.m. service at some church, it's not wrong, okay? Um, but let's talk real practically for the next bit as we begin to wrap up tonight. I'm almost done, I promise. Let's talk about some practical ways real quick to actually practice the Sabbath and get rest, okay? So this is more of the answer the person who asked this question probably wanted. Okay, I took 30 minutes to get there. Okay, sorry. I'm a preacher. It's what we do. All right, so all right, practically, we got to remember that we all need Sabbath, but it looks different. Um, you know, most people, I think, um, would find that taking a whole day is helpful, um, but some people like shorter Sabbaths. If I could recommend a, a way to do Sabbath well, take at least a half a day for a Sabbath. I think, you know, anything shorter loses its impact. You ever tried to get like, you know, eight hour long naps and replace that with a, a full night of sleep? It never works. You know, eight hours straight of sleep is way better than eight hour long naps because we're made that way. It's the same thing with Sabbath. If you do two short times, I think it's less effective. But let me give you a few ways um, to practice Sabbath practically. Number one, uh, get recharged. Okay, do things that recharge you, especially spiritually. 
And we all have things that help us recharge. You know, maybe you're more of an introvert. It's more reading and quiet spaces. Maybe you're more extroverted. It's hanging out with people, things like that. Some people you know, like to hike to get recharged. Some people like music. You know, some people paint or write, things like that. But we all know the things that recharge us. So when we take Sabbath, it's important to find those things and lean into that. Uh, one of my favorite things to do for Sabbath rest is to spend some quiet time reading, some time outside, coffee usually is involved in my Sabbath, um, maybe even playing music. I'm a musician. I like doing that kind of stuff. That recharges me, but it's a lot more than emotional recharging. This is not just therapeutic, okay? It's got to be spiritual recharging too, which means that worship needs to be a part of your Sabbath rest. Um, you know, for, for people who do Sabbath on Sunday, that means going to church. You can sing at church, but sometimes that's not the best day for people. So whenever you choose to do your Sabbath, whatever that's an afternoon, whatever it is, you want to make sure to take time to get into God's word, take time to pray, take time to spend time worshiping. Those are all spiritually recharging things that are so important for practicing the Sabbath. That's the first thing. Do things that recharge you, especially spiritually. But number two is to find rhythm. So number one, get recharged. Number two, find rhythm. You know, most of us, you know, we understand the rhythm and the importance of work and rest, but the problem is, you know, getting that balance is really difficult. Um, you know, and I think we all benefit from a routine, a healthy routine. So I encourage you just as a practical bit of advice, you know, as you begin this semester, try to find a weekly routine that you can work through. That really, routines are helpful for a couple of reasons, but mainly it helps us find margin in our life that we don't overcommit ourselves to things, but also we don't undercommit ourselves and find ourselves not, um, you know, being lazy throughout the semester. Um, but also having a routine and a schedule over and above your class schedule. You know, I get that's kind of set in stone, maybe. You know, but having a routine can really help make sure that you get work done, but also stay connected to God and people. If you have a routine that you try to follow and a, a Sabbath schedule that you try to follow. Uh, one helpful way is to have a specific time every week that you practice Sabbath. My Sabbath is Mondays. I'm off on Mondays from the church, and I do daddy daycare on Mondays with Jude, so my Sabbath looks different sometimes with a uh, 10-month-old, almost 10-month-old at home. Um, but, you know, I try to lean into nap time when Jude's napping. I like to do some Sabbath practices. I love to read and pray um, during that time. You know, when Jude wakes up, we'll go for a walk in the neighborhood. It's just a time for me to kind of unplug I turn my phone off or keep my phone away from me sometimes when I do that. That's really helpful. Things like that are really important for me as I try to find that rhythm of rest and recharging each week. Um, you know, it's really, really helpful for me. But that leads to the third thing is get unplugged. So you have rhythms, but you also have get unplugged. What I mean by that is, you know, I'm not going to preach a whole sermon on this, but our phones drain us so much. I think you know this, that our phones drain so much of our mental energy more often than we realize you know, they distract us. You know, ironically, they disconnect us from people when they're meant to connect us to people, but many times they keep us disconnected. Um, and really, they keep our brains so constantly busy and just buzzing with, you know, the notifications and stuff that we don't slow down and really begin to examine what's going on in our hearts, that our phones can be such a distraction. So I found that, you know, especially with Sabbath, but even just times throughout the week, I'm trying to get better about having time where I just keep the phone, like, on the charger, in another room, for me in the bedroom, you know, I have a house that has multiple rooms. If you live in a dorm room, your bedroom is your living room, I guess. But, you know, just having the phone like away and not having it constantly on me, turning it off. I know that seems like an insane thing to turn your phone off and be away from the world. But I found that intentional times like that have been so refreshing for me, especially when it comes to the, to the idea of resting and Sabbath, you know, and you can even use those times to connect with people, you know. You could use that time uh, to be more present with your roommates if they're there or 
you know, novel idea. Maybe use your phone to call people instead of texting or scrolling through Instagram. You know, phones still actually work to call people on the phone so you can do that. Maybe calling somebody you haven't talked to in a while and connecting that way can be a way to get refreshed. Uh, That's really helpful, I know, for me. So, but get unplugged. Have some intentional time to turn the phone off, put it away. Think, begin to think about times like that. One thing that is, I've been uh, recommending before, I've, I've gotten out of this, but for a season, I actually got an old school alarm clock and, and had my phone not in the bedroom. It wasn't my alarm. So that my first you know, temptation was to open, you know, to wake up and like check my email, you know, things like that. I've, got, I've gotten out of that. I need to get back into that. But that was so helpful for me when I just <laughs> didn't have that even as the first thing I saw when I woke up because it controls us way more than we think. The last thing, and we'll be done, is this. This is simple, but I think it's helpful, is get enough sleep. All right, I know I sound like an old man telling you this here uh, at the beginning of the semester, but you know, sleep is a lot more than just you know recovering rest. Like we said earlier, sleep in many ways as a Sabbath practice is a declaration that you know what God, like I trust you, even um, in the fact that I'm a finite person that cannot, although I want to, you know, run without sleep. I can down monster energy drinks and stay up for seven days in a row. It's impossible, you know. But even as we sleep and sometimes call it a night on certain things <laughs> when assignments. It can be a declaration of you saying to God, God, you know what? I trust you that this is going to get done. You, you know, the world's going to be okay without me. I can rest for a bit. That sleep sometimes is way more spiritual than we think. Uh, D.A. Carson, who's a, you know, a credible biblical scholar, said this quote. I can't believe he said this, but he said that sometimes the godliest thing you can do in the universe is get a good night's sleep. The godliest thing you can do in the universe is get a good night's sleep. And D.A. Carson is like a brilliant mind of theology. And he said, yeah, sometimes like, going to sleep is really good for your soul. I'm like, wow, if he can say that, then that's probably true. You know, so like sometimes the most godly thing we can do is get a good night's sleep, y'all. It can be really, really, really helpful. All right. You know, as a country, you know, we, the science and research shows we're getting less sleep than ever before because of all the things that can distract us. So for this semester, you know, it may sound really unspiritual, but as we begin this semester, maybe one spiritual goal you can set is, you know what, I'm going to try to get more sleep. I'm going to try to sleep more. Some of y'all are like, I'm already sleeping 12 hours a day. I don't need more sleep in my life, you know. Um, But for some of y'all, maybe you need to hear that tonight. But as we wrap up, and as we take some time to discuss in a second, just know this, like we said tonight, as we talk about rest, as we talk about Sabbath and getting recharged, before we ever get to the practical schedule stuff, we got to begin with finding rest in Christ before we ever get to any other kind of thing. We've got to realize our complete inability to be good enough to prove ourselves, to fill that hole in our hearts. That hole only can be filled with Christ. No amount of productivity will ever fill that. No amount of accomplishment will ever fill that. So we have to give up our work. We have to surrender to Christ. We have to find rest in him if we want to really ever experience true rest. And then out of that rest, it can lead us to all these practices we saw tonight. The gift of the Sabbath, the gift of taking intentional time throughout your week to stop and cease and and hit pause, maybe on school, hit pause on what you have going on and just recharge, unplug. It sounds crazy and countercultural in a world that always is prizing productivity and busyness. We brag about our busyness, right? But that's the countercultural idea of Sabbath because it's a gift that God has given us. All right. So hopefully that was helpful for you guys tonight. I have a few questions I want you to discuss discuss at your tables before we uh, wrap up, but I'm going to pray for you, and then there's three questions there you can talk about, and we'll be done. All right, let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for the gift that your word is to us. We thank you for the gift that is the Sabbath, that we don't talk about a lot in the church, but Lord, we thank you for the fact that it is a clear illustration of the, the true rest that we need that only can be found in you, that only can be found in the work of Christ, that we can only there 
find true stillness for our souls, true rest, true satisfaction to the hunger that we have, um, to feel like we, we matter, that we, that we mean something, it only can be found in a relationship with you. Otherwise, we're going to be running around looking to all kinds of other things, other ways to make us busy, make our lives something that matter, like they're important, because that's how the world wants us to define our lives. But we know that your, your word tells us that we are, that will never be enough, but instead you and you, what you say about us will only be the thing that truly satisfies us, gives, gives us a deep sense of rest, and really is the salve to uh, the, the hurt that we have in our hearts because of sin. So I pray that you would help us to, to settle that, to look to you for that true rest, and then out of that, to look to your word for the wisdom that it is and how to really um, live as finite creatures that um, that need rest, that need to unplug, that need to um, take time to slow down. I pray for these students this semester as they begin this semester and they're looking at schedules and calendars and syllabus and all that kind of stuff that they would, as they begin to plan the semester, that they, they would take intentional time to plan to rest. They would take time to plan to unplug, plan to slow down, maybe have specific times to plan to, to turn the phone off and put it away for a bit and just, just sit with you to go and do something that helps them recharge spiritually and emotionally because you have designed us to need those kind of things. So I pray you guide our conversations tonight, Lord, for your glory. Use it to sharpen each other. Pray in Christ's name. Amen.